hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them that trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord, thank you for the privilege of your people praying together. For 2,000 years, the church has prayed this way. And we know that there is more power in this prayer than we probably even realize because it's the way you said we should pray. <coughs> and we ask now, as we have prayed and brought this petition to you, we ask for the presence and anointing of the Holy Spirit. We pray that we would honor the Father. We pray that your name, Lord God, would be exalted. We pray that the words and work of Jesus would be reminded to us by the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we pray that we would have a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit today so that uh, there is an anointing on everything that takes place today. We, we believe that's already been the case. But in every class, in every uh, dynamic of, of kids' church, in this service, we pray for anointing, not only the anointing of the teaching and preaching, but Lord, we pray for anointed ears to hear, uh, for lives to respond, and we pray that whether someone is in one of the other buildings or here in the sanctuary or is listening from home or a hotel or traveling, uh, listening to the live stream, we pray that you would work in us so that there's no limit of space, uh, no limit of time on the message that goes forth today. Help us and help us to, to respond the way we ought to so that we can be uh, better servants of yours. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Boy, I tell you, this has been a month um, whether you think it's been a good month, a bad month, an easy month, or a tough month, that's a good statement. This has been a month, you know. And um, we talked about believing that June was going to be a month of uh, adversity in some respects, but also a month of the Lord's presence keeping and carrying us. I think that's what we have had. I said that I wanted to talk to you about floods uh, when the flood comes, I, I didn't say if the flood comes or in case the flood comes, it was when the flood comes. Uh, Jesus said this. He said, you will have in this world, you will have tribulations, you will have difficulties. And he tells us how we can prepare for it. Now, this is part two. Uh, I provided the bookends for this month. I preached on June 4th, part one of When the Floods Come. And if, if you haven't heard that or you just need a refreshing, I encourage you to go to the church website. You can listen to that. Um, uh, we're not trying to sell CDs or anything like that or eight tracks or <laughs> cassettes. Um, I was going through some stuff. I've still got a healthy collection of all of the above. But uh, 
<clears throat> we, we want you to, it's important that you put that message with this message to understand the impact of them both. So I encourage you to do that. And uh, then Pastor Corey um, preached a masterful message about what it means to be um, a forerunner, the, the, the hallmarks, the, uh, the nature of being a forerunner as he talked about John the Baptist. And then RT last week with asking God's opinion. We've had a good month and I wanted to wrap it up today with when the flood comes, part two. I don't know of a time in my life where we live in a time that we need encouragement consistently and regularly more than right now. Um, I know of times that were more challenging than today. I know of times that I sensed the Lord's presence and had expectation and excitement more than today. But I don't know a time that um, across the board there's this steady, steady hammering that makes the people of God need encouragement. We get past one thing to discover that we need something else. If you saw the movie Apollo 13, um, it, it, it's, a, it's a fantastic story. I can't remember enough about the movie if I can recommend it or not, but um, I remember the story being one of one thing, everything that could seem to go wrong went wrong. And no sooner would they get one thing solved than something else came up. And it was from beginning to end, from beginning to end. It was one thing after another. I think that's kind of a description of the, the age we're living in right now. Um, there have been worse days. There have been tougher moments. But this is just something that's had a, um, a drain on us for, for, for over, over three years now. And people are wondering what's going on. People are feeling like some battles are lost and some things are gone that will never be retrieved. And people say, I need encouragement. In fact, I, <clears throat> I, I hear that a lot more than I used to. Pastor, thank you for prophetic words. Thank you for, thank you for all of this. But I just need encouragement. I need to come to church and be told everything's okay. Well, I've said that for 29 years, but people want me to say everything that's bad is going to go away, and I can't do that because I don't believe that. Now, one day, it's going. One day, Jesus is coming back, and he's going to set everything right. We need to work and set everything right that we can. We are inheriting the kingdom, and we are representatives of the kingdom of heaven, but the scripture makes it abundantly clear that it's Jesus that destroys the enemy and his work on earth. It's the enemy that brings down Babylon and the spirit of Antichrist. We can do what we can do, but it's not going to be gone until Jesus comes. So we need to learn how to function in a time that has been called the... Um, this present time, I keep pointing, I'm thinking the sign's up, um, this present time. 
And even in this present time, there are still darker times than others. For instance, Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he said, this is the advice I give you concerning the present crisis. In other words, Paul was saying it hasn't always been like this and it won't always be like this. We know that until Jesus comes, things will happen, but we're in a crisis right now. It had to do with the persecution of the church that was spreading from Judaism into the Roman Empire. He said, this is a present crisis that we need to learn to live in. So there are dark days and there are darker days, but in all of the days, we know that Jesus is Lord. Now, I said, I've never known a time that I felt more pressure. Uh, that's true. It seems to be unrelenting. It needs to be unending. Never been a time that I feel more like I'm in a flood. But there's also been, a, uh, it's also true that there's never been a time that I'm more aware of and appreciative of the presence of the Lord. Now, I have felt higher. I have I have felt uh, more exhilarated. I've had more, you know, cutting edge faith moments. But just as there is that steady beating of the enemy, there is that steady encouraging from the Lord. The Bible says that where iniquity abounds, sin, much, uh, where iniquity and sin abound, that grace abounds much more. So God will always respond. And we want to talk about a verse today that I introduced quickly last week. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. Now, in my opinion, this is one that we use probably other than the Christmas passages um, and, and a handful of others. This is the verse most used out of Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah 59 19. Now, um, I want to say this, Pastor, so you're going to encourage us today. That's totally up to you. It's totally up to you. But um, I'm going to try to, but at the same time, I'm going to try to paint a good picture of where we are. Um, we need to encourage one another. Sure, that, that, that's, that's a no-brainer. We need to encourage one another. There are times we need to be encouraged. A couple of days ago, my verse of the day popped up and <clears throat> it was asking the question, why are you cast down, oh my soul? And why are you disquieted? Why are you under such a, a heavy burden? And how many of you know there are days that that's, that that's your life verse? You know, why this? Why now? Why me? Why this long? You know. And um, there's, there's some psalms that I call the why psalms and the how long psalms. There are other psalms where you're just ticked off and, Lord, would you please kill all my enemies? And may their babies be dashed against rocks. And you read that and, and that's the end of the chapter. He doesn't even say, oh, I shouldn't have said that. You know, we have days like that. But what God is after is for us to understand that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning and great is your faithfulness, O oh God. That's a reality 
That's where we need to learn to live. And it's not as easy as you think. In fact, someone um, really got upset because of a paragraph that um, Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote, or well, he said it and it was transcribed in his sermons. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, he said, when God's people are discouraged, they make the mistake of trying to find encouragement. Now, Martin Lloyd-Jones went on to say, we do need to encourage one another. David encouraged himself in the Lord. The joy of the Lord is my strength. He, he knew all of that. He said the mistake they made is try to find encouragement. The mistake pastors make is to give them an overfeeding of encouraging positive sermons. He said when God's people are discouraged, they don't need encouragement. They need doctrine. And that does not sound thrilling. That does not, you know, people don't get up in the morning and say, whoo, let's hurry up and get to church so we can get a front row seat. Pastor's notes look like it's heavy on doctrine. We want stories of victory. We want stories. And those places all have, I mean, those things all have their place. He said the people of God don't need encouragement. They need doctrine. And his reasoning was this. Because encouragement and happiness is based on circumstances, joy is based on doctrine. He said, when people understand what God has said, when people understand what God has promised, when people understand the word that Jesus has spoken, when they understand doctrine, encouragement, encouragement is the natural byproduct. They understand that this may be true and this is not good, but I have to see this in light of this. I have to see this in light of the other. You remember Ronald Reagan's story? I've told it a dozen times about the twin boys that one was an incurable optimist and one was an incurable pessimist. And a psychiatrist said, we need some behavioral modification. So he put the, the kid that was a pessimist into a room full of toys, everything that you could imagine, everything that he had ever wanted. He walked in and just started crying. He said, they're just going to break. Somebody will break in my room and steal them. And he said, well, this didn't work. How did it work with the other boy who was the incurable optimist? They said they're going to teach him a dose of reality. They put him in a room that was filled from top to bottom with horse manure. He saw the manure. He could smell the manure before he ever opened the door. And the little boy started jumping up and down with glee and just dove headlong into the manure. He said, Mama, Daddy, with all this manure, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. You know, we, we, we've all heard that story, and I've worn it out with you. I'm sorry. But it's a good reminder that um, uh, we, we are in an environment that sometimes is good, sometimes is bad. But God is bringing us to a place where we understand it. And the problem, uh, or where we understand his words, I think what Martin Lloyd-Jones was saying is that we need to focus on biblical literacy 
That's why Pastor Corey has started Theology Matters. That, 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 that's not a stuffy, let me give you the, you know, the, the, the five points of Arminianism and let's talk today about supralapsarianism. And it's not that, it's just biblical doctrine. It's knowing the book. Because Jesus said you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. There's power in truth. The problem is that we don't understand the balance we need to walk in. You know, the church at Ephesus, and I'd love to do sometime next year, probably a, a, just a series one more time on the church at Ephesus, where because Ephesus is the only church where we have a clear, complete story. It's birth, it's growth, it's decline, and it's potential ending. Um, uh, as described in, in Revelation chapter 2. Um, and what Jesus said to them, he said, you have a commendable record of doctrine, but you have lost your first love. And Jesus was saying, I want you to have right doctrine and I want you to have passionate love for me and my people. And guys, I want to tell you, that's the challenge for every church, to be biblically right and to walk in love, passionate for God and passionate for your neighbor. That's a difficult balance to achieve, but that's what we're after. When the Bible talks about Jesus coming and living a holy life, uh, it says in John's gospel that he came full of grace and truth. Some people only care about truth and you can never please them. Some people only care uh, about grace and they live any way they want to. I saw a shirt uh, this week that made me mad at first, and then it drove me to tears. It really did. It was a picture of Jesus, and he said, go ahead and sin. If you don't sin, I died for nothing. That's not grace and truth. That's a, that's, I don't even, I started to say that's hyper grace. That's not even worthy of the word grace. That's, that's uh, libertinism. Uh, the Bible says, let he that names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. But you've got to understand your fervency for truth is never enough to get you to heaven. It has to be balanced with grace. Jesus was full of grace and Jesus was full of truth. To the woman taken in adultery, he said, your sins are forgiven. And boy, that's what we all need to hear. Your sins are forgiven. And then he said something else. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. We often don't understand what we're dealing with. For instance, well, he said this. And we're going to talk about Isaiah 59 in just a moment. But one of the things Isaiah said when he was spoke, speaking to Israel, who is as blind as the Lord's servant? And, and he wasn't saying, oh, you're, you're more blind than anybody. What he was saying is this. He says, if you are the people of God and you're walking in blindness, that blindness is so profound. It's worse than other blindness. It's worse than being in the wrong religion. It's worse than doing this, that, or the other because you have light and you have turned your back on the light. 
And he said, so if you are part of God's family and you're walking in darkness, blindness, he said, you have a blindness that is so profound that it's easier for a prostitute, Jesus would say, and for a Roman tax collector to come into the kingdom than for you. That's a pretty serious charge. Um, there's a blindness. And let me give you an example of the way that blindness works. It's not, blindness isn't always um, the result of, of um, profound evil. Sometimes blindness, I'm talking about spiritual blindness, could be a result of ignorance, or it could be a result of just not understanding what's going on. For instance, this week we had the first day of summer, and uh, people were excited, welcome the lazy, hazy, crazy days of summer, long days, short nights, everything's going to be great, this is the time of year that's my favorite, but people don't understand that at the summer solstice, the first day of summer, it's true, that is the longest day of the year. I mean, it's not longer in times of quantity, but there's more light on that day and less darkness than any other day of the year. And our temptation is to say, whoo, thank God it finally got here. We're here with the long days of light and the short period of night. But what you don't understand is that the very next day, the light begins to decrease and the darkness begins to increase. And every day is getting darker. And we're celebrating a condition as here to stay when the condition is actually fading away. Now, it's a very slow change and it'll take months for us to see it go like this. And, it'll, you know, we'll reach a point where it's balanced and then we'll reach a point where it's uh, the greatest amount of darkness, period. Some places in the world, it's m far more darkness than there is light. But now I got to tell you this, this is another sermon, but the opposite is true. It's also on the darkest day of the night. We say, oh man, this is the pits. I, I, I just can't stand this. I can't, I, this darkness is horrible. You, you don't understand that on the darkest day, the very next day, the light begins to increase. See, there's, nature teaches us that our environment is counterintuitive to what we think it would be. We, and what we need to understand is that sometimes we think this thing is growing when God says, no, this is decreasing. You need to make plans. You need to do what you can. You know, the old saying, make hay while the sun shines. You know, and sometimes we think the evil is increasing, but no, no, the evil is really decreasing. And it takes somebody with real spiritual sense to discern what is what in this age in which we're living. And I know that doesn't sound profound, but I think that's one of the things that the Spirit of God is trying to em em embolden us to grasp and enlighten us to receive. Let's look at Isaiah 59, 19. We're going to talk about that for a few moments. Um, chitty moments, but a few, a few anyway. When the enemy shall come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord shall lift up a standard against him. I have learned that from my childhood, and it is true. I believe it. 
There are times that the enemy comes in and the Lord just raises up against him. Now, um, I always thought a standard was like a wall, you know, like the spirit would raise up a wall against the flood. But really the word is ensign or flag. And whenever ancient armies saw a particular ensign or flag go up, the message, this is before, you know, communications like we have today. Whenever the flag went up, most elements of the army would know, go to the flag. Go to the flag. That's where the battle is. And literally, the children of Israel could have understood this verse this way. When the enemy comes in, when the enemy seeks to uh, overwhelm you, the Lord will raise up a standard and all of heaven will come to assist you. And that's, that's pretty, pretty good. Uh, in the ESV and NASB, it says, For he will come like a rushing stream, a narrow river, which the wind of the Lord drives. We talked about that a little bit last week. Uh, RSV, part of it says, And his glory will fr come from the rising of the sun, for he will come like a rushing stream. The Young's literal translation, we, we said it's hard to read in English because it's, it's not trying to shift from one language to another structurally, but it's just giving you the literal translation. Uh, but I like Young's. It says, when come in as a flood doth an adversary. See, it's backwards in the way we'd say it. The Spirit of Jehovah hath raised an ensign against him. Okay, I like that. Free translation, when enemies come in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will put them to flight. Okay, it reminds me of the warning in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Uh, Philip's translation puts that uh, verse this way. Uh, well, in a, it's really, I'm going to read a couple extra verses, but it gives you a good picture. Be self-controlled and vigilant always, for your enemy the devil is always about prowling like a lion roaring for its prey. Resist him by standing firm in your faith, and remember that the strain is the same for all your fellow Christians in other parts of the world. Boy, I like that. The strain. Anybody here been going through a strain? The strain is the same for all of your fellow Christians in other parts of the world. And after you have borne these sufferings a very little while, you say, well, it's not been a little while for me. It's been months. Well, Peter understood this. In the light of eternity, if you spend a lifetime in difficulty, it's still just a very little time. This is not going to be this way forever. God himself, from whom we receive all grace and who has called you to share his eternal splendor through Christ, <coughs> excuse me, will make you whole and secure and strong. All power is his forever and ever. Amen. Every once in a while, I'll read this phrase in the Old Testament. A prophet will begin and it'll say, the burden of the Lord, which God showed to Amos, or the burden of the Lord that was upon Jeremiah. And I take that very seriously. And I've, I've, I try to remember to do this. Every time I read that phrase, the burden of the Lord, 
I stop and I thank God for Amos or for Jeremiah or for uh, Malachi or whoever it was said about. I thank God because, loved ones, that's something that's almost lost to Western Christianity is the idea of a burden. The only time we want to talk about a burden is when we say, uh, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's, that, that's one truth about burdens with Jesus. He makes them lighter, but they are still burdens. You know, it's a burden is kind of like saying, you know, I've got a little bit of a burden. It's like being a little bit pregnant, you know. Um, it, you may be in an early stage or you may be in a late stage. Burdens are like that. They are heavy. And the Lord can mitigate the burden so that you are anointed and able to carry it. But it's still the burden of the Lord. And um, I'm not saying this for me. I'm saying that for you because I know you feel like you've been under a burden. But I know I have been under a heavy burden for months where I feel like I, I'm, I know I'm utterly and completely sustained by the Lord. But I also know I am carrying something that I do not have the ability to carry. And some of you feel the same way. It, it might be your ministry, it might be your family, it might be a physical infirmity, but this is an age where we're aware of burdens that we need help carrying. I want to say this, uh, this is really the close of the sermon, but I want to say this now. When the floods come, it is a time for introspection. It's a time to examine yourself. It's not a time to just sit down and complain. It's not a time to just say, I don't know why I'm having to go through this. It's because God is putting you in situations in which he can show you special grace and pour out into you special faith. And I know that that's not what we long for. I mean, we want it. You know, like the disciples, we all pray, Lord, increase my faith. I would just like it in pill form. Um, easy to take, easy to digest. But it's a time of introspection. Examine yourself. This is also a time of intensification. Um, I believe this is, this is Bible. Paul said that we know this as the last times progress. Evil men, seducers shall grow worse and worse. He paints a picture that says as we moved toward the end of this age, it's going to get worse. It's going to get tougher. And in regard, we think Jesus was speaking about the tribulation period when he spoke about Jacob's trouble. But he said that there was coming a time that was so troublesome that unless God shortened the days, it would annihilate mankind. Uh, we, we need to understand things are getting worse and worse, but just as the tares are growing up to maturity, so is the wheat. The Jordan floods at the time of the harvest. And um, I don't think it's like Star Wars where there's the dark side and the, the light side. I don't think it's a battle of the force, you know. I don't think it's anything like that. The devil doesn't have any chance whatsoever. He has no chance to win. 
But that doesn't mean that he doesn't fight. And that doesn't mean that certain things don't intensify as God allows the things of this world to take shape so that what he has predicted and what he has told us will come will happen. You, you guys with me here? Okay. And um, uh, we need to make every effort as we face in, intentionality. We need to, you know, at least six times at least six times, if you read the New Living Translation, uh, I think it's translated that way six times, Paul says, or one of the writers says, make every effort. King James, I think, might say, be diligent to, but it's the idea of make every effort. We must become more intentional. I told you, uh, look under getting started, I told you about the tsunami dream that I said I believe was in two parts. I, I believe that the first part has come, uh, it was COVID. It was represented in 2020, 21, and 22. Um, I, I said, and I, I, I still believe this, the further we move along, the more I believe this. 2020 served a lot of purposes. COVID served a lot of purposes. But 2020, I believe, was to show us what we are. You say, how could our society change overnight? How could churches change overnight? How could attitudes change overnight? How could we have moved to such incivility in just a matter of months? And loved ones, I want to tell you, there comes a time when things happen that show what we are. And I think the good, the bad, and the ugly surfaced in 2020. I think churches failed in 2020. I don't think ours did. I think some people in our church did, failed miserably. Um, I think some denominations failed miserably. I think, I, think, I think 2020 was a year of saying, this is what you are really like. Whether it was politics, whether it was uh, uh, law and order, whether, whatever it was, what was in our hearts was exposed and many of us were shocked at what we heard and saw and felt in 2020. I believed, and I said this as we approached 2021, I believe that year, the 2020 was to say, this is what you are. And this 2021 was a year, what are you going to do about it? What Are you going to repent or are you going to double down? Are you going to lean into the flesh or are you going to lean into the spirit? What did you see and what is your plan of action? And then 2022, I think, was very clearly a year of, okay, we're going to begin to live out what we've decided. Now, you say, what is 2023? I, I have opinions, but I, it's in my journal, but I don't, I don't think there's any way I can say it without it becoming a political statement. So I'll just tell you, Justin will deal with this later. <laughs> Uh, but I do think that the Lord is working in his church, including our church. He has shown us what we are. And, and some of us rose and lived above and beyond. Some of us sank into pettiness and you say, oh my, who pastor? Well, nobody here. It just, you know, it was... No, I'm serious. Some of us sank into pettiness 
and have carried a chip on their shoulder against the church, against the Lord, against everything. And you're wondering why you're not bouncing out of some of this stuff. And we need to relearn the grace of forgiveness and the grace of patience and the grace of forbearing one another. I'm telling you, we haven't learned that yet. Um, I, I, the, the nature of our society has changed. It's mean. Um, things that began as perhaps a blessing, some of the internet and social media, which began as a blessing, is now turned into a cheap free-for-all where people are just hurtful and despicable in the thing. I'm telling you, what we are came to the surface. The good news is that people that were the way they ought to be are shining like the sun. Churches are shining like the midday sun. But it's not going to be automatic. We have to make a decision. In fact, I will say this. I think part of what's going on in 2023 is this. There's always been the challenge of choose your God. You know, it, it was presented clearly in the Old Testament. Choose this day whom you will serve. More than once. Choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we're big on that. And everybody says, oh, we've chosen the Lord. But you know, the wrath of man doesn't work the righteousness of God. So we've chosen the Lord, many of us, and then said, we're going to get this world right by the efforts of the flesh. But I tell you what I think is going on right now. And you may have to think about this a couple of weeks. I think we may have gotten dull about choosing our God. Yeah, yeah, of course we choose the Lord. He is God. The Lord, he is God. But I tell you what many of us are doing by the way we live we are in the process of choosing our enemy. And some of us are trying to choose God as our God and let God be our enemy at the same time. I want to tell you this, what Isaiah 59 tells me, we don't want God to be our enemy. We don't want God to be our enemy. You say, well, that's not possible for a child of God to to be at war with God, then why did James say, don't you understand if you embrace the ways of the world that you have declared war on God? Loved ones, I, I, I believe in grace and I, I, I'm, I don't think there's anybody that preaches grace with more fervency than I do. But we need to understand that grace doesn't mean I live any way I want to. Grace doesn't mean it doesn't matter how I live. And I want to tell you, I live in fear for the church of the Lord Jesus and our nation. The way we pick and choose doctrine, the way we pick and choose the words that, well, we don't pick and choose the, the words that we use in social media and, and in various other ways of communication. We, we've just, we've taken the coward's approach that says, well, if they can't touch me, I can say what I want to say. And guys, I want to tell you, the world is not a nice place. And the thing that's unbelievable to me is it's less nice today than it was three or four years ago. And what we need to understand is that God is putting us 
in headline after headline, in situation after situation, God is putting us to the place that we will utterly be weaned off the pattern of Babylon and be nourished only by the kingdom of God. You say, oh, that's just, that's just too hard a word. It's the only word I have. God is not trying to make our lives miserable. What God is trying to do is make our lives miserable <laughs> so that we will turn from the efforts of the flesh and lean on him. I want to tell you one of the big things God is doing and one of the reasons we have floods like we have and one of the reasons that I say bad days are coming again, bad days are coming again. We say it to you guys too, bad days are coming again. But one of the reasons the floods come, one of the reasons the tsunami came in and then came back out is that God wants us to become a generation of believers that don't look to people as superstars, that don't look to certain pastors as superstars, that don't look to certain prophets as, oh, I'm one of them. Paul condemned that way back in the first century. Some of you say I'm of Paul. Some of you say I'm of Peter. Some of you say I'm of Apollos. He said, and then the super spirituals say, oh, I'm of Jesus, so everything I say must be right. See, that was a problem back in the earliest days of the church. God is weaning us from that. And we still stand at the dark, smoky teeth waiting to suckle that mama of carnality. And God says, go get some orange juice. Loved ones, I'm telling you, it's, 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 it's a burden that God is exposing. We prayed, um, what was it, Justin, help me do the math. Seven years ago, we started praying those four things. God, let lies and liars be exposed. Let truth rise up. Let the nation know what to do. And then we prayed, let the church wake up. I think lies and liars being exposed, God double answered that. I'm pleased. I think I'm seeing truth begin to rise up. I I think we're seeing it. Uh, I don't think America has decided what to do yet, but I think we're headed in that direction. But I'll tell you this. The thing that troubles me is I'm yet to believe that the church has woken up. I, I think the church... Boy, this needs a sermon, but I think we fumbled the ball by what we did, the way we did it, and what we didn't do over this three-year period. And we have doubled down on politics. We've doubled down on our own opinions. We've doubled down on everything except if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways. I said it before, let me say it, I don't know if I'll ever say it again, but I've never seen the church in America pray like she prayed in 2020. I've never seen the church pray like she prayed in 2020. You say, well, then we should have had all our problems solved. Well, double, you know, we need to understand this, double prayer is actually half prayer if you don't turn from your wicked ways if you don't turn from your wicked ways.
We talked about the tsunami dream, Isaiah's ministry, Assyria was about to invade. Now Isaiah was different than most of the prophets. Isaiah's ministry covered about 40 years. He was, he, I, mean, I mean, there are others that did, but a lot of them were just raised up for something and then God moved on to something else in another way. Um, he was the one that uh, kept, his ministry kept putting off the Assyrian invasion until seven, the, the, the winter of uh, uh, 723 to the winter of 721, I think it was. Over that period of time, they finally fell to Assyrian captivity. And the northern kingdom was taken to Assyrian captivity. And a good deal, a lot of the border towns from Judah were also taken into captivity. So it wasn't just Israel, it was part of Judah as well. Now Judah would face their own battle with Babylon about 150 or so years later, or a little more. But what I'm trying to say is that um, the people were saying God has separated himself from us. They were saying God has separated. See, the, the, the problem with the northern kingdom when they were threatened with invasion was, uh, was cynicism. God has separated. The problem with Judah was arrogance. This is God's city. This is God's temple. This city cannot be overthrown. And Assyria was breathing down the neck of the northern kingdom. And they said, well, we might be overthrown. But if it is, it's because God didn't keep his promise. He has separated himself from us. So by the time you get to Isaiah 59, this is what the prophet says. Behold, the Lord's arm is not shortened that he cannot save like you say it is. Behold, his ear has not grown heavy like you say it has. That he cannot hear. They said everything's God's fault. He's like an old man that has lost his muscle and his ears are fading away. I tell you, I worry about that. I really do. I, 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 was, I was kidding with Simon. I won't bring up any names, but... I was somewhere the other day and uh, I, I went to hug one of our church members and the church member said, um, I, I don't know the exact words, I had to have a translator later, but said something like, I'm, I'm contagious and I, I don't want to give you a hug, I don't want you to get sick, something to that effect, very kind, very caring. Well, I tell you what I heard was that I was too fat to be hugged. <laughs> I. I swear she, she spoke those words. You're, you're too fat to be hugged. And I kept waiting for the punchline, you know. And I embarrassed myself. I, I think I embarrassed the, the church member as well. I, I would have sworn that I was being refused a hug because of my weight. People were saying, that's the way God is. He can't hear what we're saying. Apparently that's the case because he's not doing what we ask for. He said, it's not that the Lord's arm is shortened. It's not that his ears are heavy. He says, this is the problem. You have separated yourself from God. You are the problems. Like the old couple that had been married about 60 years and she felt like he had lost the first love and the glow of their romance. 
And she said, honey, why isn't it like it was back in the 50s when we dated and you always had me sit right next to you and you put your arm around me and those were days of such passion and love and I felt so secure. Why don't we do that anymore? And the husband looked at her and said, well, before we answer that, let me point this out. I'm not the one that's moved. That's a joke. <laughs> and God was saying, I'm not the one that's moved. I'm not the one that's moved. You are the one that's moved. And so this is what he says. He says, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. That is one of the most difficult to clearly understand passages in the Old Testament. We use it all the time, and I think our use of it is legitimate. But I think this is one of those passages that clearly overlaps in several directions. And um, the Holy Spirit can do that. We can't do that. But the Holy Spirit can do that. Um, you know, whenever Jesus and his family were called from Egypt to go back into Israel, Matthew said it was so the scripture would be fulfilled, out of Egypt have I called my son. Well, in the Old Testament that had nothing to do to the natural mind with Messiah. That was about Israel coming out of Egypt. But there are passages where the Holy Spirit says there were some things so profound that they had several meanings attached to them. Now, he has to give us that. We can't just choose what they are. But that was clearly one of them. And I think Isaiah 59 about this flood is another one. Um, what are the possible meanings of Isaiah 59 and uh, verse 19? The first is that the flood is the enemy's assault. You know, when the enemy comes in like a flood, that's, that's the most obvious meaning. And I do think that God was saying, when your enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord will rally all of heaven to come to your defense. I, I think we're perfectly legitimate to do that. But there's a second possibility it's there in your notes under possible meanings. The, the flood is the chastening hand of the Lord. In this view, God himself is the flood that came against Israel. You say, I don't like that one. Me neither. But it's possible. It's possible. God could be saying, look, you are the cause of our separation You've called me your enemy. Okay, well, the enemy is coming in like a flood. And I'm going to bring judgment against you, even though it might end in redemption. Uh, and that is the third view. The Lord's ensign or the army of heaven is the flood that drives the enemy back because it's driven by the Spirit of the Lord. In other words, some said the enemy comes in, God drives him back. Others said, no, the Lord is judging us. And he's driving this. this. This is driven by the Lord. But the translation can be read either way. Either the Lord is bringing the flood or the Lord is driving the flood back. I really believe that the prophet understood the Lord will be both. The Lord will rescue his people. That's what he already designed. But sometimes the Lord will become your enemy because you've placed him in that position. 
But at the end of the day, the Lord will bring you back for the sake of David, and he will rebuke what the enemy means for good. Um, what that tells me, loved ones, is this. It is important that we understand by the way we live, we're not just choosing our God, we're choosing our enemy. I think this is a double image. Now, Isaiah had dealt with this for years. And the way I, you say, did, did Isaiah ever get it worked out? Yes, he did, by going to heaven. You say, how did he go to heaven? Well, after 40 years of ministry, after 40 years of ministering to the Lord, the government said, we've had enough of him. We're going to do away with him. We'll be sure he doesn't preach again. And tradition says that they tied two ropes, one around this ankle, one around this ankle, hoisted him up so that his legs were apart like this. He's hanging upside down. And with a saw beginning in um, uh, his genital area, they went and sawed him literally in half. From, from his private area through the top of his head. Uh, arms were restrained. He was sawn in half. It's what we believe was referred to in Hebrews chapter 12 where the writer of Hebrews says some were delivered, some were not delivered, some were sawn in half. And history tells us that Isaiah was one of those. Um, and what I'm trying to say is that you can rebuke and renounce floods. And if God tells you to rebuke and renounce the flood, it will work. But we also need to understand that we have to hear from God on the way to deal with floods. Um, Elisha, the healing of Naaman is such a phenomenal thing. Isaiah, uh, Elisha had such a healing ministry. But the Bible makes this little note just in one part of a verse. It says, but the day came when the disease that killed Elisha came upon him. Wonderful healing. Why didn't God heal Elisha? Well, he could have a dozen times. We don't know. But I'm saying that this is this era of cherry picking verses we want to choose so that we don't have to go through anything we don't have to pay any price, is coming to an end. And God is going to deliver us from the idolatry of, having, of being groupies for certain people. Now, we need to honor teachers. We need to honor prophets. We need to honor pastors. We need to honor one another. But we need to stop letting the bedrock of our experience with God be somebody's teaching. Because nobody's got it all right. I come dangerously close. I'm, hey guys, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I really am. Um, so what we have to answer today is what do we do when the flood comes? When the flood comes, what do we do? You can't just blame it on somebody. Well, it's Trump's fault, or it's Biden's fault, or it's the Assemblies of God fault, or it's the Church of the Nazarene's fault, or, oh, Lord, it's my wife's fault, or my husband's fault. You can't, you, you can't do that because none of us, and you might be right, but, boy, you better have confirmation 
you better have confirmation before you start trying to ascribe blame. Um, let's look at when the flood comes. Number one, armor on. Put, put on the armor. Uh, this is what we are told to do by Paul so that we can stand. You want to stand, whether it's a flood, a fire, whatever it is, you want to stand, put on the armor so you can stand. In fact, some of the greatest spiritual warfare we will ever do is just standing. Uh, we were going through a tough time few months ago, really, really a tough time. And uh, it was affecting the whole staff. Um, there was something we just didn't know what to do with. And uh, Corey, what was it? Was it RT's? I don't have social media. What, what was that is? Facebook. Fa Facebook, Facebook. RT just gave a little devotion. And he just said, this is what the Lord says. He read the verse. He says, just stand. Some of you are going through such difficulty, such troubles. He said, you don't know what to do and you've done everything you know to do. He said, my advice to you is just stand. And boy, God spoke that to the heart of the staff and we just said, we're going to stand. We're going to not be moved and we decided to stand and that was the beginning of this thing turning, going in a totally different direction. And in order to be able to stand, Paul says, put the armor on. It's hard to stand without the armor. And what is the armor? We have it in Ephesians 6. It's, we, we don't have time to preach on it, but I just want to mention it to you. Uh, he says, number one, be sure that you are in the truth. Um, he, that's why he mentioned it first, even though it was the, the, one of the smallest and, and, and uh, less conspicuous pieces of armor. He called it the belt of truth. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And especially to our young people that uh, I think churches have not served well. I hope we are. I, I, I think uh, in, in um, union, I think in crew, I think in kids' life, kids' church, I think we're doing a fabulous job. I think we, we're trying to touch our kids and fill them with the glory of God. We're doing everything we can to let our ceiling, our highest attainments, be the place that they start. But I want to encourage you, there is a move that is almost suffocating churches um, where we rewrite the Gospels, we deconstruct the life of Jesus. And I know that I'm sounding like a broken record, but I want to tell you, the Gospel does not need to be updated. It needs to be communicated well. It needs to be communicated in a way that people understand. But I've said that the gospel is like a masterpiece painting. The, a, a masterpiece can be made to fit in the bathroom or the living room, in the kitchen or the family room, in the cabin or the garage, depending on what kind of frame you put it in. You can, you can frame the gospel a dozen different ways. Nothing wrong with that. But you better not mess with the masterpiece. Don't put a mustache on Mona Lisa. Don't try to replace Van Gogh's ear. Don't, don't mess 
with the masterpiece and in an attempt to be relevant some very well-meaning people that love Jesus are trying to make a new gospel for the 21st century I heard someone say I think I said this first service I hope I'm not saying it twice in this service but I heard someone say um, we're past the age where our children need to be told uh, you know I know this is so, he's from the, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Because the Bible tells me so. He said, we're past the age where we can just say, because the Bible tells me so. And I want to tell you something. We need to put something in our children where they understand that it's true because the Bible tells me so. We need to go back to a love for scripture. We need to go back to a love for truth. Oh, I've got to go on. The belt of truth. We need to wear the breastplate of righteousness. We, we need to understand that we are people of grace, but we are also people of truth. We need to understand that we are saved by grace, which means we wear the robe of his righteousness. I am declared fit for heaven, not because of anything I have done or not done, but because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. But I also am required to live a righteous life. John said, he that has this hope in him, meaning the return of Christ, purifies himself, even as he is pure. The apostle said, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. John would say, if we live in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Yes, there is grace that is all by Jesus and there is good behavior that is a result of that grace. Oh, it doesn't get me to heaven, doesn't get me saved, doesn't keep me saved, but it's my response to the saving grace of the Lord. We need to put on righteousness. We need to quit making excuses for the sin in our life. We need, to, we need to stop making excuses for mistreating people. I had a man one time in another church, another state, another age, another era. He, I, I said, you know, you can't treat your wife that way. I said, that, you, there's no excuse for that. He said, preacher, if Jesus was married to my wife, he'd treat her the same way. And I said, no, I don't believe that. Uh, I said, you can't quit blaming your carnality on other people. Number three, we need to be people of peace. The shoes are kind of a bulky translation from Greek to English. You know, the, the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. Um, and we, there are several dynamics to that. But basically, whether it's taking the good news, whether it's standing, it boils down to this. God has called us to peace. And we need to understand that there are times that the only peace you will have is because you're wearing the whole armor of God. The only time, there will be times that the only way you can stand is by wearing the shoes of peace. There will be times that you don't know what to do, but you have to have peace. Even Paul 
when he was faced with, do I go west? Do I go north? Do I go east? He thought he knew where he was going and he was stopped by the Holy Spirit. Um, he said the Spirit would not let us go. He tried to go in another direction and he uses the word forbidden. We were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go that way. And then he had a dream which he saw a man from Macedonia. He recognized him by his dress and probably uh, some other things that were characteristic of Macedonia. And he said, "Come." the man in the vision says, come over and help us. And you see the tone of Luke's writing change where Paul went from confusion. We're trying, we're trying, but we're getting shut down. All of a sudden he's in peace. He says, we knew assuredly that God had called us to go into that land, okay? Uh, and we have the shoes of peace. We have the shield of faith. He said, with this, you'll be able to quench the fiery darts of the devil. And I like what David Wilkerson said. He said, there are some tests that are more than fiery darts. He said, there are some tests that it takes everything you've got. But he said, most of the devil's attacks are meant to be quenched simply and quickly by having faith in God, by trusting Him. Uh, then there's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And there is the Spirit's fullness. He says, pray in the Spirit. He said, this whole life of the, the um, armor of God, it, it exists in the atmosphere of the Spirit. So we're to be led by the Spirit, fed by the Spirit. We're, we're to be uh, filled with the Spirit. And then the last thing he mentions is hope. The helmet of salvation that is called in another passage of Scripture, Romans I think it is, it is called having for a helmet the hope of salvation. Salvation gives us hope. Salvation says, well, I'm not what I used to be um, uh, and I'm not what I ought to be, but I will be. All my trials will someday be resolved. Hope understands that salvation is past, a process in the present, and a final work in the future. Loved ones, we have to live in hope. No matter what you're facing right now, please understand me. It won't always be this way. You won't always have this thorn. You won't always carry this burden. You have a helmet that reminds you that God has begun a work in me and he that has begun the work is faithful to bring it to completion. Okay. I want to put the armor on. Number two, I need to assess the components. When a flood comes, you need to stop and ask who. Is this from the devil? Is this from the Lord? Or is this because I made a bad, bad decision? And you say, well, I don't, I don't make bad decisions. Well, that's your first bad decision is to say you don't make any bad decisions. We sow and we reap. But there are other things that seem to be beyond. And sometimes it's interconnected. But sometimes it's obvious that the storm is from the devil. He comes to kill and steal and destroy. But there are other times that it's God. It is God. You read the history of the kings of Israel and so much calamity, they came to the conclusion God sent this to bring them back to the place they ought to be. So stop to ask who, stop to ask why. 
why am I going through this? Is it, is it just to test my faith? Is it the attempt of the devil to destroy me? Is it chastisement for something I've done wrong? And stop to ask, Lord, what's happening here? What's, what's going on? Number three, our letter C, is analyze the situation. It's kind of a continuation of, no, of letter B. But we need to stop and ask clarity from the Lord. We need to stop and ask for confirmation. Uh, there are so many times that I knee-jerk to interpret something. Um, oh, I, I won't go into Ask the Lord for clarity. Say, Lord, help me to understand. Help me not just to hear words, but help me to hear what's behind those words. And then give me confirmation. Um, anchor down. Remember the promises he has made. Remember the commands he has given. Remember the wisdom that he has offered. Now the life lessons, you're going to have to develop these on your own. But number one, expect the correction from the Lord. Expect because judgment, the scripture says, begins in the house of the Lord. We may want God to judge Washington. We may want God to judge the abortion mills. We may want God to judge any number of things. And, you know, there's a, there's a host of things that need judging. But understand, before God does his work in the world, he will do a work within his people. Number two, embrace the connection with God's people. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, especially as you see that day approaching. Loved ones, I'm, I'm thankful God is opening new doors. There are, there are house churches that are opening. There are new places, uh, 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 opportunities on live streaming. Uh, and we are so thankful for our live streaming congregation. It's, it's like several hundred people. We're thankful for them. And they are definitely a part of this church. But loved ones, don't, please understand, don't let live stream be your excuse for laziness. Don't, don't stay away and, you know, do whatever it is you do because you don't want to be encumbered with coming to church. Live stream is an option when there's a problem or, or a distance. We have people that are part of our congregation that live in other states. Some live in other countries. We, we're not talking about this kind of thing. But I will say this, there are some things that happen when we come together that don't happen when we don't come together. And some of you need to decide, I'm going to get my butt back in church. Okay, I shouldn't have said that. Some of you need to decide, I'm going to get my hiney back in church. Number three, experience the covering of the Holy Spirit. You say, well, I just, I just, I feel his presence. I just want the Holy Spirit to help me. Loved ones, part of this dynamic is God is calling his people to himself for intimacy like none of us have ever known or few of us have ever known. I know the challenge he's put before me. I've never walked there, but I want to walk there. Uh, Psalm 91, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That's what we're after. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge, my fortress, 
My God, in him I will trust. We want him to be our refuge. We want him to be our fortress. We want him to take care of us. But that is, generally speaking, that is the domain of those who dwell in the secret place of the Most High. I don't mean you earn it, but that's where it grows. That's where it grows. And number four, exemplify confidence in God. There there is going to be more and more opportunity for us to declare to the world, I believe God. I believe God. (laughs) It's like David Grant. He was called into the finance office at Southeastern. This was back in the 60s when he was a student there. And the financial officer said, David, what are we going to do about your bill? You haven't paid your bill. And David Grant uttered a classic word. He said, well, I can believe God if you can. And uh, I don't know how well that went over with the finance office. But we need to, to exemplify the favor of the Lord. We've got to go. We're, we're at 12, a couple of minutes after. The altar team is coming. They're here to pray for you if you want to know Jesus as your personal Savior. If you're on live stream and want to know Jesus, or you have a prayer request, there's a number on your screen, and folks are waiting to listen uh, to you and to help you any way they can. Our prayer teams are here. They will pray with you for whatever need you have. Others of you, you may want to take this home and deal with it at home, but others of you may say, Lord, I, I I want to choose my God, and I want to choose my enemy. I don't want to work at cross purposes to what you're doing. I want to be ready for the flood because I'm telling you the flood is coming. The flood is coming. You say, well, I thought we've already had one. The backwash is coming. And God wants you to stand. He doesn't want us washed away. He wants you to stand. Draw close, draw close.